Coming up, we are talking baseball. Big baseball episode today. My friend Arthur came on. We talked everything from Mariners to potential playoff matchups to a little Cy Young history. And then I spent it a few minutes at the end getting ready for the NFL season, but more specifically, the first NFL mini season. So I will explain more about what I mean with that after some baseball with my friend Arthur coming up next. All right, my friend Arthur is back in studio with us. We've got, what, one month left of the baseball season? Good push. I feel like it's been a while and lots of things have happened since uh, you've been on, but I don't know, how's the last few weeks been? Yeah, it's, uh, it's nice to be back on the show. I appreciate you having me on. It's, uh, it's been pretty awesome the last three weeks as a Mariners fan, as a baseball fan, you know, as a Julio Rodriguez supporter and lover. Uh, it's, been a, uh, it's been an incredible couple of weeks, yeah. man. Yeah, I remember yeah. it was, what, a month ago that you came on. We were talking about how badly the Mariners were doing, what went wrong, who to blame. I, I think we even maybe talked about Julio struggling. And now a month later, it, it's like all flipped. Yeah, I mean, it's really been a huge turnaround for VMs. I mean, it's really hard to like, it's, I mean, you feel like as a Mariners fan, you know, you always have to, to believe. The last couple yeah. of years, or they've been out of it, you know, like, like I think it was last year, they were like 29-39, they were like 10 games out, and it was like, all right, it's over. But then there was the whole you know, Angels-Mariners brawl, and they just brought the team together, and then they went off on a 14-game win streak, and they were back in it. And this year, I mean, you know, they were playing pretty horrible baseball for the first three months of the season. They were still a 500 club. Yeah. You know, it's not like they were 10 games under or anything. So you knew that they could potentially make that run and do this. And they finally, you know, they had a pretty easy schedule and then they took care of business against some pretty good teams. You know, the, mm-hmm. the sweep in Houston was a, like a magical series. I mean, that's something we couldn't have even imagined a year or two ago. Yeah ever happening so it's just been an incredible turnaround the offense in my opinion has been like the biggest kind of part of this it's like for so i think we talked about this uh one of the last times i was on about how in 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 our lineup there is like six or seven just holes just guys who are just honestly terrible you know for the first few months of the season you know cal wasn't that good there was colton wong you know julio was struggling teo was struggling you know, and it was just like the lineup just couldn't score enough runs for our amazing pitching staff. But over the last month, I mean, it's been incredible to see the turnaround. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, they, they weren't bad the, the first half of the season, but there was just no consistency, right? We'd win yeah. three games in a row. We'd be all back and then we'd lose three in a row. So now finally we go on what a couple eight game win streaks. Like you mentioned, taking care of bad teams, which is good. But then also, yeah, the sweep against Houston competing against some good teams, like even the Baltimore series what, awesome a month series, ago. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we lost two, two to one, but like we were in all those games. So it's, I don't know, it's been a magical turnaround. I mentioned right before we came on, I, I asked you what you thought the, the top three reasons were of this switch. And this can be super specific. This can be just general. But I wonder if we're going to have the same top three reasons. Because I have my three and I'm sure you have yeah. your reasons. So I guess I'll let you go first. Who do you think, or why do you think the Mariners have made this big turnaround? Well, I feel like um, the main, the biggest reason is the offense, but you could 
you know, look to a specific player, as in Julio Rodriguez. Yep. I think in the last 30 games, I looked on the way over, he's batting like 390 in his last 30, like 480 in his last 15. I mean, the guy is just, he's just hating the ball. He's playing nice defense. He had that one catch over to wall against Tatis, and he, mm-hmm. he pretends like he doesn't catch yep. it, and he shows the yep. ball. Like, he's playing with such ultra confidence, and it just rubs off on all of his teammates. And now Teo's starting to go. You know, Ty France is putting together some ABs. I mean, um, Dom Canzone, Josh Rojas, those guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like that's the main reason. I do think that the, the, the Paul Seawall trade definitely kind of brought the clubhouse together a little bit. You know, the fact that, you know, they essentially, you know, Jerry pretty much said that, oh, you know, this season isn't really worth it and you guys aren't really good enough and, you know, it doesn't really seem like it's worth actually trying to win this year. So we're going to make a trade to improve a team next year. And I think that, you know, the the Mariners start playing with a chip on their shoulder. Uh, okay, Jerry, you really don't think we're, you're not going to make an upgrade of a bullpen. You're not going to add an extra bat. No, you're just going to get guys for next year. Let's go win this thing this year. And ever since that trade, they've just been playing incredible baseball. I mean, everyone stepped it up. I mean, Cal Raleigh has been like, he is like leads the team in homers now. I don't know exactly mm-hmm. how many he has, like 25 or 26. He could get 30 this year easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I mean, the pitching's still been really good. So I'd say that the trade really kind of brought the team together. And interestingly enough, I think Canzone and Rojas have both been pretty solid. Mm-hmm. I mean, overall, I think, you know, both, both of them are pretty weak defensively, but on the offensive side, I mean, you know, Ken Zone has had some couple nice home runs, and mm-hmm. Rojas has actually been pretty solid, I mean, especially compared to what we were getting out of Colton Wong. I mean, <laughs> um, and I guess you know the third reason, honestly, hard to say. I, I mean, I'd say I guess the, the schedule was pretty easy. I mean, you could definitely look at Scott Service has done a pretty good job, I think, over the last month about keeping the team together about making he's been he's made some decent bullpen decisions i think in the last month or two there's definitely been a couple of games where he like you know he 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 leaves munoz out there too long or he brings him in too early or he or he doesn't use matt brash when he should have but i mean overall they've won like you know 40 games in the last two months so you can't really complain so i think scott's done a good job about keeping the team together um but yeah i guess those are those are my three reasons on why i think they're doing it we have we have similar lists. Uh, I think it's interesting. I don't have pitching on my list, and neither did you. Yeah. And that's because our pitching has been great the whole year. So that's, I mean, they've they've kept it up and maybe even improved a little bit. But it doesn't matter who we throw out there for starting pitching. It's been great. Um, but yeah, my three I think are similar. Number one, I would say Julio, like the run he went on, especially those four games when he was breaking like every record. What it was like sixteen, seventeen hits in four games. And then couple that with just on the last month, he wins player of the month in August. Like you can't win unless you're like superstar is playing like a superstar and he's playing like a superstar. So to me, that's easily the number one reason. Like if, yeah, if you're, if your star player, if your leader is going well, then your team is going to go well. I agree. That's my number one reason. Uh, Second reason I had the trade, but in different ways, because I think the trade actually made them better because the amount of times that we would have like Sam Haggerty or Dylan Moore playing outfield or Colton Wong at bats, which we all hated. Well, now suddenly we have Josh Rojas instead of Wong. 
And now we have Canzone, just another hitter. I mean, he's batting cleanup for us today. So yes, losing Seawald hurt. Yes, I agree that I think probably lit a fire under the players. But I also think it made us better just in the fact that, like you mentioned, there's more depth. Now it's not just, oh, JP, Julio, who knows what else. But now suddenly there's Canzone, suddenly there's Rojas. So I think that's a big reason. And then, yeah, I would say reason number three might be schedule. But I'll go with, I'll call them the others. Like, Dylan Moore was terrible when he first came up. Yeah. We were getting nothing out of Colton Wong. We were getting nothing out of all these players. But it seemed like for like a month, Dylan Moore started the, suddenly started hitting. Mike Ford was playing well. Cade Marlowe came up. He was great. So, like, all of these guys that weren't performing suddenly were. So then you had JP, Julio, you know, Teoscar, Cal, whatever order you want to go in. But then the back half of the lineup was these guys that were hitting well. I think that really helped and helps you score runs when your whole lineup is good. My concern is that going into the last month, if we're relying on Dylan Moore, Cade Marlowe, like, can they keep it up? I hope so. But I'm worried that they won't, and it's just going to be Julio, JP. Tay Oscar's been great. I want to shout him out too. Cal sometimes. But then after that, it's dead. Like, that's what I'm worried about. Um, I mean, I'd say it's the beauty of baseball is that it's a, uh, is a, it's a, it, it's, it's a team sport. Yeah. You know, it takes all, you know, 26 men for this team to be good. And so it's, it's more of a, of a clubhouse cultural thing. And you'll hear all the players talk about it. They want to go in every single day with the idea that they're going to win. And they have that winning mentality. I, you know, I think there was like a, I was listening to a pregame, and it was like Sauceda was on. And he was just like, yeah, this is the mindset we have. We're going to go in and win every day. This is a bullpen guy. He only pitches you know, every couple yeah. of days. So he's not, it's not like he's on the field every day, but he even has that mentality. you know. So I think it's like, yeah, you have to rely on these guys, these bench players. But the good playoff teams, the good teams, the Dodgers, the Astros, you know, the Braves, they have those great bench guys. And they rely on those bench guys to yeah. come through. And I think we're doing a good job at developing. Last year, the Mariners' bench was non-existent. It was, it was terrible. It was not, you know, and, and earlier this season, it, it was terrible. But I think we had a solid cu- couple guys here. Caballero is mm-hmm. like, he's a, an on-base machine. He always gives you good ABs. His defense isn't that bad. He's got great base running. I love him as like a four-fifth fielder who could maybe play a corner outfield spot. He come on the pinch run late in the game for, for Ty France or something. You know, I mean, they have Cade Marlowe's been, he's been solid. He's not been amazing, but I mean, I mean that Cade Marlowe grand slam, though, to like take the huge. lead over the Angels, huge. I mean, was just. I, I mean, it broke beautiful. the Angels. It was just beautiful. It was classic Mariners baseball in August. Like, yeah. you know, we're going to go for this. And, you know, you, you, this is why you got you to gotta keep the TV on. You can't leave, you can't leave your seats in the eighth inning because this team could come back at any moment mm-hmm. because they're relying on those guys, the Mike Fords of the world. The Cade Marlowe's, the Demos. I mean, yeah. uh, and that's kind of the beauty of his sport. And it's what has made this team so great over the last month and a half is that it's not just been the mainstay guys, JP, Julio, Teo. It's been a little bit of everybody. And there's been, you know, cold stretches like Ty Francis struggled, Gino struggled a lot, you know, but everyone else picks him up. You know, yeah. if Julio has a bad game, well, you know, uh, Cade Marlowe or Dom Canzone could go three for four. And then pick Julio up a little bit, so it's, it takes the pressure off of the main guys, 
you know, I think JP was even out for like a week for concussion protocol mm -hmm. and they kept on winning without him and he yeah. came back and they kept on winning with him. Like, yeah. so it's like, you know, I mean, it's great that the Mariners are playing like a team. It's not like a single guy, you know, I mean, and that's what I kind of love about it. And you can even stretch that into the bullpen too, because when, once Seawall had left, it's like our bullpen was already kind of stretched. And now it's just like, we don't have a closer. We don't have a setup man. We only have seven guys in there, and Scott's got to kind of do his best, and he's going to make a lot of mistakes because he, he can only control his decisions, but the players have to actually perform. And when Matt Brash comes in and, and you know, gives up a home run or if Munoz walks two guys, wild pitch, run score, you know, it's just like it makes it really hard, but I feel like they've done a good job of sticking together and giving a good effort every day. You know, I mean, I think we definitely have to shout out Justin Topa. He's been a, uh, a just a huge difference maker in this bullpen. I personally think he should be the closer. He should be the guy they go to. He, he doesn't have the electric stuff. He doesn't throw 100 miles an hour. He doesn't have that nasty slider. But he's, is, he's always just consistently solid, you know, and he knows how to get out. He's a ground ball pitcher. I mean, he should be our closer. But the thing is, is the Mariners have always believed they're going to play the matchups, you know, so, so he he'll probably get a save opportunity every now and then, or he'll come in in the seventh inning with guys on base or, or something like that, you know. But I think the bullpen's really stuck together well through all of this because as good as our rotation's been this year, I think it's looked a little shaky, at least in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Like Bryce Miller and Brian Wu both looked a little mediocre over the last few starts. I mean, they're both super young pitchers. You know, they've never thrown this many no. innings. I think we saw this out of Gilbert two years ago, right? And yeah, I it was Gilbert a couple years ago, Kirby last year. Yeah, that, that last month of the season, not, they don't look as good because they're not really fresh anymore. And on top of that, you know, we just lost two or three to the Mets and both Castillo and Kirby get lit up, yeah. you know, and it's just like, okay, you know, so our rotation is maybe not as solid as we thought, but the bullpen's been really solid to keep us in game and give the offense a chance to come back, you yeah. know. I mean, my worry, and I don't want to rain on the parade, but like as good as the Mariners have been and as much fun as this playoff push is going to be, you know, you can only, you can only rely on those guys for so long unless you just get really lucky, right? Like I have nothing against Dylan Moore, Caballero, guys like that. But when we're talking like an important like last series of the year, when we're talking like a big playoff push, you know, those guys will only take you so far. And the the Saucedos, the the Trent Thorntons, the random bullpen guys we have, like they've been great. But my concern is when it really comes down to it and we're facing the best of the best, will that be enough? Because I think we learned that last year, like our bullpen was great last year. But when it came down to, okay, we're playing the Astros. This is the playoffs. We need it. Our, our starting pitching did great. But then we didn't trust anybody out of the bullpen. Like, yeah. we trusted Seawald, Munoz, maybe. And so now this year, like, if there's one on in a tie game in the seventh inning, I, I agree, Topa's been great. We can trust him. Munoz, Brash, maybe. But, like, are you going to want Trent Thornton, who's been great in his ERAs in the twos? But, like, are we going to really trust them when it comes down to it? Or, like, a pinch hit. Like, okay, Caballero's pinch hitting. In a you know tie this game is, in the ninth inning. This is where I hope Scott has learned his lesson from last year. Because last year, yeah, he 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 for whatever reason 
he refused to use Eric Swanson the entire postseason yeah, until like trusting the, somebody <laughs> until like the seventeenth inning yeah. of Game Three of ALDS. So he wouldn't use him, even though he was a really good pitcher last year. And we don't know what was going on behind the scenes if there was a personal disagreement between the two guys, and you know Swanson got traded like a month later. You know, so we don't really know the story there. But the idea here is that Scott, yeah, he's not really. He is is he going to want to trust one of those guys in a big spot? But he's going to have to if they want to yeah. win in the postseason. But I do think that postseason baseball is different than other sports, where it's like you can have those guys come through in the postseason and win you a World Series. It happens every year. I mean, the twenty nineteen sure. Nationals were those underdogs. Twenty twenty. 14 Royals almost went all the way. They pretty much did. True. I mean, it, it, it happens every few, every, every few postseasons. And I know we're not talking playoffs today, but if you're looking at the American League playoff picture, I mean, I put our team against anyone in the AL. I mean, to me, that, that's what gives us the chance of like, yeah, well, I mean, we'll talk playoffs later this month, but like the NL, like they have the Braves, the Dodgers, like some powerhouses. Oh, yeah. Right. I agree. If you look at the AL, like, Orioles, they have the best record. They've been great. But after that, who else would you pick over the Mariners? I mean, the Orioles pitching is pretty atrocious, and they just lost for a closer for the season, most likely. Yeah. So that's, that's tough. Good for us. I mean, you, you know, you're never happy about yeah. that, but, you know, it's good for us in, in that sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Rays, they've struggled with injuries, and Franco's nowhere to be seen now. See, the Rays are the perfect example, though. They, are, they, they always rely on these no-name guys yeah. you've never heard of, you know. And they come through with a big home run in the eighth inning, and then what, you know? Yeah, but like, I, I think so I trust the, the Rays a little bit like more. Yeah, I trust the Rays a little bit more. But yes, you're right. Yeah, I mean, the Mariners could be. We could be the next Rays. True. I know? mean, who knows? Could be big ALDS. Dylan Moore hits a. Could be Trent Fortin pitching the last three outs yeah. of the World Series. Yeah, you never know. You know, and the twelfth inning because they already used Munoz in the eighth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's gonna be. Yeah, we'll talk more playoffs as we get. But yeah, uh, I, I, I do understand what you're saying. Like, how far can these guys take us? I think as far as they want. They, they have the power to do that. The Mariners are such a good team. Yeah. They play together where it's like they can choose to go into a game with that winning mindset and they can win. And they can also choose to not really care and then just lose and be smiley and happy about it. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I feel like they came into that Mets series and they weren't really playing clean, good baseball. They weren't really like, you know, and, and, and again, this is a clubhouse thing, and there's the, the leaders in the clubhouse, J.P. Crawford, Ty France, Suarez. These guys have to, like, step it up a little bit, and maybe, you know, if, if they end up losing this next series to the Reds, and you lose two series in a row, there should be, like, a closed-door meeting here. We have to go now. Yeah. Because, you know, the Astros and Rangers will not continue to keep losing. They will eventually turn yeah. it around, you know. Um, um, but, yeah, overall, though, I think it's been a really nice month and a half for the Mariners. The offense has really come together. You know, you look up and down the lineup, and I mean, you always knew there was potential in these players, mm-hmm. but they just weren't really playing to that potential. Yeah. But now you look up and down the lineup, and it, it's just, it's, it's great. I mean, you go around the diamond, you have Ty France, who's just like, you know, he's a solid AB, 250, 240 guy, but he's just a solid at-bat. He's going to get that double when you need him to get that double. He's, you know, not a good base runner or anything, but a solid AB. You know, you got, you know, Josh Rojas has been great since coming yeah. over. He's just a solid guy. Not a lot of power, but, you know, he's got the hustle. He's on this new team. And he actually seems to be trying, which is like really cool to see. I mean, and then JP Crawford, I, I think we should spend a minute at some point <laughs> on him. He's been fantastic this year. Yeah. I mean, 
Is he the most underpaid guy on the team? Oh, easily. Does, does he regret taking that contract? Was it last year or the year before last? Where uh, they signed well, an extension? at this point, but, you know, you, know, you got to take like, that risk. What, six years, 60 million or yeah, something like that? Yeah, it's like 10 like million that. a year. Yeah. yeah, not, you know, but so he's been, you know, incredible. And he's been good defensively, too. And I think one of the most underrated guys on the team is Geno Swart. You know, because mm-hmm. what we haven't talked about is, yeah, his numbers don't look amazing. You know, right? He's not, like, batting 280 or anything like Julio. But he doesn't take days off. No. If, if, he, if he's sore, if he has back spasms, if he's, like, you know, has a sore thumb or something, he just plays through it. Yeah. He's one of those guys who plays every single day because it's his job to do that. And because of that, you get a consistent, good defensive third baseman who's also put together some solid games at the plate. You know, he'll have those 0 for 4 of 3Ks, but he'll also go yeah. 3 for 4 with a couple doubles, you know. I mean, he's the, he's, I mean, and JP, he's our leader and right. Sets the example of like, Hey, I'm going to play every day. I'm going to bring it. And I don't know who's going to win gold glove, but he better win gold glove for third base. Well, I hate that, you know, and I I understand why they do this, but I hate how many days off players get nowadays. Like Julio has the hottest four games in the history of baseball and Scott gives him a day off the next day. Yeah. I'm just like, what? (laughs) Like, like we're trying to win here. Like, you know. But like Gino, it, it, it shows that it is possible to play every day and, and still be consistently good, you know. Um, so I love Gino. I mean, the outfields really come along. You're, you're talking about those guys who you never really heard of, but Cade Marlowe has been solid, you know. Yeah, like, he's fallen off, but Ken, hopefully Kelnick will come back. And... Kelnick will come back. Ken, Ken Zone's been solid. Mm-hmm. And then Julio and Teo have been playing different oh, potential yeah. the last month. Yeah. So up and down that lineup, and you toss in Cal Raleigh in there as well. Yeah, six or seven guys who could, you know, I mean, give you good, good ABs. Yeah. And that's what wins in the playoffs. It's not about who can hit more home runs, who, who has more runs per game or whatever. It's more about solid at-bats. You know, how can yeah. you get to the bullpen? How can you, you know, get a guy in base, move a runner over? You know, right. These are the things the Mariners are just getting better at, and they're doing really well. Yeah. And I think it's the clubhouse culture thing. I think it's the leaders in the clubhouse, J.P. Crawford being one of the main ones. You know, um, and I don't know, I just, I, I think, I think it is sustainable. I think they can go through the next, you know, month of the season and find themselves as AL West champions for the first time in 22 years. Yeah. It's going to be yeah. a, uh, an interesting last month with the, the Rangers and Astros going to be right on their heels the whole month. But I mean, you mentioned, right. The, the Rangers and Astros, they're not going to keep losing. So the Mariners at some point need to push and, yeah. and not just say, Hey, we had a great month. We need to, like, we're good. We're, we have the division lead. We're good. Right. They're going to need to continue to play well. And I'm worried that, I'm, I'm not worried that they're not going to be good anymore, but I am worried that some of the, the reasons why we went on this hot streak, I'm dubious if they're going to continue or not. Yeah. But we shall see. If you do some, like, schedule watching, which I did, on, like, like, a few days ago, um, if you look at the remaining schedules of the three teams, you know, the, the Astros essentially have a schedule we had last month. Yeah. They're playing KC, they're playing Oakland, they're playing, you know, these easier teams. So they have a pretty cakewalk schedule. There's a couple tough series in there, but nothing major. And they're the Houston Astros and they're healthy. Altuve team cycles again, you know. I mean, so they're going to probably finish around 92 wins. So they're going to have a solid, unless yeah. they lose against these bad teams, which is possible. But yeah. I, I have to believe they won't. And then the Rangers have a super tough schedule. They, you know, they pretty, they pretty much play over 500 teams rest of the way out with maybe one Oakland series yeah. kind of hidden in there, you know, so the Rangers and they're still losing, 
They're still, they've been losing games for like a month and a half now. We could be witnessing one of the greatest collapses, you know, in the la- yeah. uh, of the season as being the Texas Rangers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from going, what, 10 games up in the division to potentially not making the playoffs? That I mean, was us in 2017, 2018. Yeah. We did that. You yep. know, and it was just heartbreaking yeah. as a Mariners fan. But I mean, the, <laughs> the Rangers, right? They have a lots of, they have lots of good players, but I, it seems like every time I look at the game, it's Aroldis Chapman blowing another game. So like their their pitching is better, but their bullpen is not good, and that's the recipe when it gets close. Well, I'm very happy. The first time I was on your podcast, I said this is back when the Rangers were up like eight games. That yeah. there's the Mariners can beat these guys. Rangers are not that good. I'll say it again. Rangers are not that good. Yeah. We're way better than the Rangers. Yeah. You know they have a few guys in the lineup who can hit, but it's not all about who can hit. It's about the clubhouse culture, about the winning mentality. Yeah. I mean, they add Max Scherzer, and they still can't win games. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I wish our ownership did that with our mindset, you know? like. <laughs> yeah. But. Um, but, but anyways, I think we can be at the Rangers because their schedule is so tough. And then our schedule is kind of in the middle. We play a couple easy series here and there, but we also play some tough teams. We're playing the Rays this weekend. We play Houston and Texas. We play the Dodgers. You know, we play the, the Reds Dodgers. Now. Like yeah. the as good as we we thought our schedule was right the back half of the year, we went through all of that and now all of these tough teams like that's gonna be where it matters. I mean the last ten games of the season is gonna be yeah fun. They I go, mean that's that's gonna be the season. It's, it's Texas, right Houston, Texas, yeah. right? And, and the last two are at home. How many games are are you gonna go to? Oh, seven games to end. Assuming it's are right you there. Make it the four. Oh, yeah, I was going to say like three or four at least. If it's like, you know. Yeah. Uh, assuming, four, yeah. assuming we haven't fallen off the la- in, you know, these next couple yeah. weeks. Oh, yeah. Because those, those games are going to be for the division, oh, yeah. most likely. They're going to all be sold out. Too. It's going oh, to be sold out. They're essentially going to be playoff games. And it'll be, I mean, it'll be a good test, good practice for the team. Yeah. So I'm excited. That's going to be a fun series. They're doing the Oktoberfest Stein giveaway on, yep. on, on one of those games. So I'll definitely go to that one. Yep. Second to last game of the year. Yeah, you know, but yeah, I'll probably I'll probably try to go at least three. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. you have to. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I remember last year they had already clinched, and I still went to that last game, and it was like no one was there though. Yeah, because they were like, oh yeah, we're yeah. just waiting for the yeah, <laughs> waiting for the playoffs. I think they had Justice Sheffield start, <laughs> which is a a name you haven't heard in a while. I was gonna say he's almost <laughs> out of the major or out yeah. of the lead at this point. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we'll we'll talk more uh more playoffs once it gets closer, and especially those last couple of weeks when it's. When you can really set, like, okay, if we go, you know, three and one in this series, then that sets us up and right. we can really start to, to play around. I will that. say, though, Will, you know, if I do end up going to a game in that last, you know, seven games, you better be sitting in the seat next to me. Yeah, you're right. you know, I will put it out to the <laughs> podcast now. You know, I've been to 14 M games this year, yeah. two of which were in San Fran, and they won both of them. So two and oh, okay, on the road. so you're good there. But in, in Safeco Field, you know, I'm two and 10. They've lost 10 times while I'm there. Two and 10. The two games I won was the two games my, me and Will went to yep. together. Yep. Yeah, One of them I was don't... a comeback against the Astros like late in the game. Oh, yeah. Where you and Marlisha wanted yep. to leave. And I, yep. I had to drag you guys back to the seat, yep. essentially. You know, yeah, that but... was the beginning of our, uh, <laughs> I don't know, the Mariner magic that they have. But but again, the two and 10, my man. So, you know, don't let me go. <laughs> yeah, don't <laughs> go by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you're not there. You're not let me go. Because, you know, I, I watched them lose to the A's last week. Like, come on. Yeah, that was like the, <laughs> the, the, one, game yeah, the one game they lost in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, a couple of things before we wrap up. Um, 
I'm going to throw some stuff at you. Um, I want to do a couple different things. Um, spent the last few days uh, just doing a little little research, little little fun activities to do. Um, all right. All right. First one is, a, a, you know, those blind pair, player comparisons. You know, you get two stats of two players, players A and B. Like a baseball like reference page. Yep. You know? Yeah. Um, and I want to, without saying the name, one, you might be able to guess some of these players. But I want to see which season you would prefer or okay. if they're close. So, first example, I'm giving you two players, two hitters. First player, batting 274 this year, uh, 366 on base, 791 OPS, uh, 17 homers, 66 RBIs, uh, OPS plus of uh, 120. Does he steal bases? Uh, no, does not steal bases. Okay. okay. Or player B, batting 228, a little bit lower, uh, 309 on base, 464 slugging though, for 773 OPS. 25 homers, uh, 64 RBIs, OPS plus of 113. Also doesn't really steal bases. Other big thing to note, player A has about 100 more plate appearances than player B. Well, player A, if I doubt, only has, only has nine less home runs, but he's batting, what, 50 points higher? 50 points higher. You know, I yeah. mean, Not plus slugging. the on base is 60 points higher, so he True. walks more. Uh, yeah. Is he a switch hitter? Is he a lefty? Uh, they are both switchers. Both switch. Okay, yeah, definitely player player A. Yeah, player A. Yeah, slugging way less. Um, eight home runs less, but okay. also but has a hundred more. Is played. player B Cal Raleigh? He is. Okay. Can you guess player A? It's tough. Is a switch hitter? Switch hitter. So he's not in the Mariners then, right? No. Crap. Uh. I think you give me a lead. Give me a lead. Uh, AL. American League. Uh, I honestly, I, I, I if we if we spend enough time, I'm sure you could get him. Uh, player A is Adley Rutschman. I was, gonna, oh, yep. I was literally going to say that before you. Damn it, I should have said it. So, play, I mean, you picked player A. I think a lot of people would. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, let me. Yes, the batting average way lower. Now I know who they are. Definitely Adley Rutschman. <laughs> but I, I guess why I did that is to me they're not as far off as yeah, as you would not think. Super far off because. Yeah. Right, Cal has eight more home runs, but he has 100 less plate appearances. I'd so. be biased, though, because I watch Cal every day, and he's a great catcher yeah. defensively. I don't know. Like, you know, you got to ask an Orioles fan. I don't really know how good of a defensive catcher Adley. Everyone assumes he's good because he was great in college, but yeah. I don't really know. But, I mean, Adley's, like, the number one catcher. He's, like, one of the best players right. in Cal. So, like, you know, just trying to say that maybe we're not too far off. Cal has how many homers? Is 24? Is 25. 25. Probably 26. 25, but yeah, again, 100 less plate appearances. So yeah. if he had the same amount, he'd probably have 30. That's, that's the thing with the Mariners, though, is, is, is he won't play him every day. Yeah. You know, he'll, he'll give him DH, days so. off, or he won't even DH him. Yeah. He'll, he'll have that one game he had. What's for a third catcher right now? Uh, Brian O'Keefe. O'Keefe be yeah, playing. And I'm like, dude. He's playing today. Are we trying to win? Are we trying yeah. to win? Or are we like, uh, like, I get players need to stay healthy and whatever, but like the great players can play every day. Yeah. Or at least DH. Yeah. yeah. What's the point of a DH? <laughs> yeah. All right. Next one. This one's four players. So I'll try to give. Okay. All right. See how good your memory is of all these stats. So player A, batting 250, uh, 790 OPS. Tw- on base? Uh, on base 330. Uh, 25 homers, 81 RBIs, uh, OPS plus 117. Okay. Player B, batting 270, on base 388, uh, 14 homers. 131 OPS plus. Player C, 273, uh, 345 on base, 20 homers, 
116 OPS plus. And then the last guy, player D, 261 on base of 311, 21 homers, 105 OPS plus. That was a lot of numbers. If, if you need <laughs> How many home runs did player A have again? Player A had 25. Ooh, I'm torn between player A and B. What was the on base of each of them? Uh, on base player is 330 and player B, 388. Yeah, but the home runs, 12 more homers, right? Uh, yeah, 11 more homers. Yeah, better slugging. I go player A. Player A, but Five then five. player B's second. Go. He's definitely. You have any idea who these players are? Honestly, I could not. I mean, yeah. yeah I, 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 I could not tell like you. Yeah. A hundred numbers at you. Yeah, I wouldn't if expect they were you to. Mariners, maybe. But uh, there's one Mariner. So, there, so player A is was. Is Teo one of them? No. no player Player A was Francisco Lindor. So you pick Lindor. Okay. Got yeah. 25 homers. And again, this isn't counting Who's defense. Player B is JP Crawford. Oh, okay, you got. Yeah. Uh, I got I thought you had 14 home runs, not 13. Yeah, I said 14. Oh, I said 14. Yeah. Crap, uh, player C, Marcus Simeon. And player D, Trey Turner. Oh, yeah, so, Trey Turner. Hey, I yeah. mean, again, I'm, I'm not saying you're that... You're for the, J.P. Crawford. You are hoping I was going to pick J.P. Yeah, I was hoping you were going to B. Which you're close. And, I mean, yeah. Lindor is having a good season. <laughs> but the idea of... I'm not saying the Mariners are smart in not trying to get Trey Turner or Simeon. But that just shows how good J.P. Crawford's been. Well, it would be nice to have one of those guys at the second. Yeah. Thing. But yeah, I yeah. Get, if we compared Marcus yeah. Simeon versus Colton Wong, or jo- jo- even Josh Rowe. or Joe, yeah. yeah. All right, next one. Uh, three players. Uh, player A batting two fifty four on base three forty one. Uh, OPS seven sixteen, not slugging that much. Ten homers, hundred one hundred two OPS plus. Sounds like Ty France. Uh, player B batting <laughs> two thirty two, uh, on base three hundred, slugging four sixty four. With 11 homers, 106 OPS plus. And then player C, uh, 248, on base 319, 19 homers, 100 OPS plus. Any preference? I mean, player C has a decent amount of home runs, but none of them have a great amount of home runs. Player A has the highest average. Uh, slightly, yeah, 254. On base was 341. Player A. All right, yeah, you're right. Player A is Ty France. Yeah. Uh, player B uh, is 37-year-old Evan Longoria, yeah. and player C is a league average player. So if you go on baseball reference, which I was on oh, the other day, player C is like whatever average. they had as league average. My point is, I mean, I love Ty France, but he's essentially a league average player with less power. Yeah. So, I, you know, just starting a conversation. I get I your point about Ty France. I think, to go off on a slight tangent, I think that the the potential um, guy who could they could be playing to replace France with is Dom Canzone. Yeah, you could I definitely agree. put him at first base. You know, and if he plays well, he's just kind of like his. Uh, this is his his audition year. If he yeah. plays well this year, maybe they give him a look. Yeah, but, I do wonder if spring training next year is going to be a lot of first base drills for Canzone. But France, I mean, he's a solid AB. I get his base running is horrible. His defense is pretty atrocious as well, but. So what does he give you then? He gives you a solid five pitch at bat, a double in the gap. You know, or I mean, a double I get play. It. I don't know. He's not I, mean, that I, great. I really like Ty France. I hope he stays. But I'm I'm happy that they moved him down in the order. Yeah. Fine. He's not batting two or three. Anymore. Yeah. He's batting six or seven, which is where he belongs. Yeah. You know. All right. Uh, last one. You'll probably be able to guess these, but I think it's still worth looking at the stats. Player A. These are pitchers now. Player A. 169 innings. Uh, 3.19 ERA. 
uh, 9.7 strikeouts per nine, four and a half strikeouts to walk, and he's 11 and seven. Win loss, that matters. Uh, player B, 161 innings, uh, three and a half ERA, uh, nine strikeouts per nine, uh, almost six strikeouts per walk, and 12 and five record. Uh, player C, 174 innings, 2.95 ERA, 9.7 strikeouts per nine, four strikeouts per walk, record 12 and four. And then the last guy, player D, 159 innings, 3.39 ERA, 8.2 strikeouts per nine, and this will probably give it away, but 10 strikeouts per walk for that guy. <laughs> yeah, no, I guess George, who that was. George Kirby. <laughs> uh, he's 10 and nine, which was surprising. Yeah. But um, yeah, you could probably guess all four of these players. But of those four, anything stand out? Well, Luis Castillo, player A. Yep. You know, was it Gilbert, player B? Gilbert's player B. Okay. Yep. And then the, uh, uh, a shot with our Garrett Cole. Player? Yep. Cole, yeah, okay. player C, and then Kirby, player D. Um, you know, I know her names, but I shouldn't have guessed her name. Yeah. <laughs> I know her yeah. names. You want to say Garrett Cole's the better pitcher, but. I mean, and, and by stats, I think he still is, right? He has he the lowest though? ERA. He has the most innings. Uh, tied for the most strikeouts per nine, win loss record. I don't think I should mean, matter. Innings, innings does he have in Castillo? Like five, five. Yeah. yeah. So not that much, but same. So like, if you compare Castillo and Cole, about the same amount of innings, same strikeouts per nine, same WHIP, same strikeout per nine. But Cole's twelve and four or something. Cole's twelve and four. Not but that really. Matters. I don't think it but should matter. The voters. I mean, and then Cole slightly better ERA. As of right now, his ERA is under three. I just want Cole to have a blow up start in yeah. his last yeah. start. You know. <laughs> but I guess my point is they're all kind of close. Yeah, they are. And I mean, this I was thinking this was before Castillo and Kirby kind of didn't pitch well against the Mets. But is like it before, this is including I, this. I, this is including. So like, yeah, they both had bad starts. I think they're still close. So I don't know. Do you have? Do you think Castillo, Kirby, Gilbert? I guess outside chance. Any chance they get Cy Young? I don't think any four of those pitchers deserve Cy Young. I mean, it's been a, it's been it's been <laughs> a very this year. it's been a very disappointing season pitching wise. Yeah. It hasn't really been that standout guy. This is going to be like the year when Rick Porcello won a Cy Young yeah. award. We're like Rick Porcello, yeah, like, you know, like like he won he, his numbers aren't even that good. Like how did he win that? Yeah, you know, I mean, then then there'll be the season where you know, that one year Felix two two uh, two one four ERA of like two hundred and fifty innings and yeah. he finishes second. <laughs> Cy Young, it's yeah. like so. You got to take Cy Young as a grain of salt. I think Eric Cole is going to win, even if his numbers were worse. Just because he would win because of name, because of name, because of a team he's on. Yeah, like do you know who started the All Star game, even though they had similar numbers. Eric. True. Because he's a Yankee. It's, yeah, yeah, it's Eric Cole. East Coast bias and the voters, especially. I mean, Cole's pretty much already has it locked up, unless he just has a horrible few starts or something. Even if he got injured and didn't, he'd probably still win. Yeah. Kind of how messed up the voting. I'd love to see Castillo win. I just don't know if he deserves it. He's been good. He's been solid. I mean, but, again, he has the same numbers as Garrett Cole. But he always has those blow up starts, like the last one he had. He gives, he gets hit a lot. Like his stuff is good, but it gets hit. Kind of like Munoz. He's got great stuff, but for whatever reason, guys can square it up and yeah, you know. But I think, but like you mentioned, right? There's nobody that has like a two ERA. And then no one so. Honestly, surprising. It's all relative. I thought someone would would come out come out there yeah. and win it. Even in the National League, not really a breakaway guy. I think like the lowest ERA in baseball this year is like a or something. Like, you know, 
Yeah. I mean, I think Gilbert's the best of best of those pitchers, but he always just has those starts where he just gets completely destroyed. And Scott just kind of leaves him out there, you know, and he gives up those extra three runs. And yeah, but he looked so good in that start against the Mets. I mean, he was, yeah, he was the he one was that, lights that out. pitched well. I mean, I wish he would pitch like that more often. And, and and so that's why I think Gilbert of of the three guys, I think Gilbert has the best chance to win a Cy Young. Sure, not this season, but maybe next year and the year after next year. I think he's going to put together that special season. Well, it's only I think one. I think both him and Kirby have a good shot. Yeah, but Kirby's just. He he's good as he's walking, but how long? Yeah. Is he, you know, how long yeah. is he going to be able to keep that? Up? I think Gilbert's got that kind of chip on his shoulder. He's kind of got that Felix-ish vibe to him, where you know, when 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 he goes into that zone, he's just like stoic. Walter, yeah. ego, you know, it, yeah. it, it's it's pretty fun to watch. I you know, I I definitely enjoy watching it. Kirby just seems to he, he he's too much of a nice guy. He's, he's, he's he was he was nice pumped up there. against uh, Baltimore. He was, he was, yeah. You know, again, I think Kirby could also win a side. I, I just like Gilbert. Yeah, like, that could switch. I mean, y- yes, they might not be like two ARA like really top pitchers, but the three of them together, like it, some it, of the best. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, not against the Mets. Mets. So. <laughs> but that brings me to the last thing I wanted to share. I almost made this a whole segment, and I was going to do this whole breakdown, but then I was like, no, you, you are a baseball uh, hist- historian, let's say. You like the history of baseball. Sure. So I was thinking, okay, let's say, let's say Garrett Cole wins, but out of Cole and those three pitchers, right? there's a chance that our three pitchers could finish two, three, four, somewhere in the top five, yeah. like if they have a good you know, last month of the season. So then I was thinking, how, how often has that happened? that three pitchers finished like so high up in Cy Young. Right. You looked it up? I did. I did a, a little little research. Um, there's a nice website, cyyoungpitchers.org. 2001 uh, Diamondbacks? No. Uh, well, so there's been, there's actually a little bit more than I thought. Uh, there's been 27 times since 1970. Uh, 1970, okay. That uh, three pitchers have gotten Cy Young votes. Oh, votes. So, like well, so a little for those, if, if you don't know uh, Cy Young history, back until 1970, anything before that, there was only one uh, pitcher that would get votes, so they didn't vote for the top five. Uh, and then I think starting 2010, they started voting for the top uh, five. So then anywhere between 1970 and 2010, they voted for the top three. So a little bit of history there. But 27 times has a team gotten three or more pitchers get votes. But how many times since 1970 can you guess that a team has had three pitchers in the top five of Cy Young? Well, you know, you're with the Braves, 90s era, I think at least once or twice. I want to say the Diamondbacks had that, you know, Killing, John, someone else. So that's two at least. Um, you have. To, I'd say I'd say you know four. Oh, one Mariners. No, sadly, uh, no, no. <laughs> a little bit more than I thought. It was eight. Eight, okay. Eight total. Can you think of the last time it's happened? Last time it's happened. Top five, three pitchers in the Cy Young vote. Top five. Dodgers, twenty thirteen or something. Dodgers twenty fourteen. Yeah, you got the era kind of close, but not the right team. Not top shot. It's twenty eleven. Last time it happened. Philly. 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 Yes. The Flea, Halliday, and, and Ham. 
Yep. Yep. Roy Halladay finished second. Cliff Lee finished third. Rest Roy. Peace, Roy Halladay. Great pitcher. Uh, Cole Hamels finished fifth. Uh, others of note. Um, again, I'm sure you'd get a lot of these. Was Some there a of these. 90s Braves team in there? there was. That was to me the most impressive one because you had Glavin win Cy Young that year, 1998, and then Maddox and Smoltz uh, were tied for fourth. God, Maddox was so good. <laughs> uh, the there were three times out of the eight that there was a relief pitcher in it. Uh, 1999 Houston, Mike Hampton came in second. Jose Lima and then Billy Wagner. Their closer, yeah. he was a good closer. He's he Hall of Fame. Ah, he uh, probably should be if he's not. I would assume he is. Uh, so they that's one 1990 Oakland. Bob Welch, uh, won Cy Young that year. Dave Stewart came in third, and then uh, Eckersley was tied okay. for fifth. Another good one. Uh, 1985 Royals. Brett Saberhagen won that year. World Series champion. True. <laughs> uh, Dan Quisenberry uh, was their closer. He came in third, and then Charlie Lee Brandt. Um, but I mean, that shows that it really doesn't happen that often. And there's really been other than Glavin, Maddox and Smoltz in 98, uh, the Dodgers in 74, Mike Marshall won it. Andy Messersmith, I've never heard of. He came in second and then Don Sutton came in fourth. Those are the only two years that three starting pitchers came in the top five and one of them won it. So if, if, Let's say, let's say Castillo goes on a run. He wins Cy Young. And then Kirby comes in third. Gilbert comes in fourth. Be the third time ever. Well, it's just the East Coast bias. I don't see Gilbert finishing top five. You know? uh, if he goes on a run. If he goes on a run, but even, you know, it's just, it's just way too much East Coast. I agree. I mean, yeah. I, I don't have all the numbers in front of me of who the competition is. But I know there was, wasn't there Framer Valdez for the Astros, right? Mm. Even though he's really not that good, you know, and he always throws at us for no reason. But different topic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got, what, a few weeks, a month left uh, till the postseason. We watch every game I can. I can't believe I'm missing the game right now. We check, we do a live score. Yeah, I don't think we should. I, I checked uh, <laughs> like a bad? half hour ago. Uh, but the Mariners. Oh, we, we should not be looking at the score. Yeah. Mariners playing the Reds. Um, so we're gonna yeah. lose today. Yeah. They lost yesterday. Yeah. If they lose two or three to Cincinnati, is are you worried? Two series in a row. They play Tampa Bay next. Yeah. Is um, it is it, in, is it is it in Tampa? Yeah. Or, yeah, it's in Tampa. Yeah, I think if it's gonna put a lot of pressure on the rest of the the month, if that's the case. I mean, when when are you worried? Like like when is it? Oh, we might not make the playoff if they lose the next two series. Um. Then I would, yeah, I would get concerned. I don't, because we play the Rangers and the Astros. There's always a chance. There's always going to be a chance. But will I be concerned of like, yep, this team is not as good as they showed? Yeah. If we have a bad week, that's probably the case. Yeah. I, it's hard to understand why the pitching's looked so bad the last few days. Yeah. But, I mean, it's going to happen. Those guys are, have been great. Like, they're going to have yeah. one bad start here and there. So, like you said, as long as, you know, the leaders can just say, hey, all right, we've lost a couple in a row. That's fine. Let's bounce back. Got to have a short memory. Yeah. 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 But I'm sure you'll come on. We got plenty of postseason stuff to talk about. We'll wait on a World Series pick. We'll wait a couple of weeks. You'll come on. We'll you make can always pick. make one now. Okay, I, go ahead. I, I know go you ahead. want to. I know you. <laughs> well, I, it's not going to change, but I'm going to pick the Braves. I mean, what's who wouldn't? The what's? Um, you're going to pick the Braves? Yeah. That's what I did last year, and I was foolish. They lost in the first round. <laughs> yeah. Know? I mean, that's the fun part about baseball, but. 
yeah, we'll we'll talk playoff picks. We'll talk playoff push. My early Ma- World Series pick, uh, Seattle Mariners over the Dodgers in five. I'll take it. Yeah. We'll see if that changes in a week or two. But yeah. <laughs> a week might. or two, yeah. Uh, but thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me on again, man. Before we wrap up the episode, I just want to spend a few minutes uh, talking football. Again, we're trying to get all prepared for uh, the upcoming NFL season. I'm recording this late Tuesday night. Uh, we're just a couple days away from, from Lions Chiefs. I've gone through all my tiers. Uh, I'll go through uh, my picks uh, later this week. I, my brother's going to come on. We're going to give our Super Bowl picks. We're going to pick uh, win totals for each team. But I was doing some thinking, and I really like looking at the NFL schedule in chunks. Because you know the NFL season is the shortest of any major sport, you can really analyze the schedule in completely different ways than you can, say, baseball that has 162 games. So I really like looking at NFL seasons in chunks of four games because before they switched to 17 games, you used to have four mini seasons of four games each. And now, yes, you have week 17 or week 18 technically with your 17th game. But to me, I still like you have your first season, weeks one through four, second season, weeks five through eight, third season, weeks nine through 12, and then your last season, season four, weeks 13 through 16. And then the 17th game, we'll call that, you know, playoff positioning or just kind of a bonus game. But I think for a team to have a good season, you have to win or at least be solid in each mini season because since there's only 17 games if you have an 0 and 4 stretch uh, we've seen teams come back from you know slow starts but having a really bad you know part of your season it can make it difficult for you to make the playoffs and if you have two bad stretches you're probably not going to make the playoffs so i wanted to just spend a few minutes analyzing this first mini season that we're about to have again we'll talk full season win totals uh later this week uh, with my brother but i want to spend just a little bit of time focused on the first four weeks so strength of schedule you know is a is a common thing that people look at a really good site uh, if you haven't heard of it uh, from warren sharp it's called sharp football analysis he does a lot of a lot of analytical things, I and mean, one of them is strength of schedule, where he takes into account, obviously, win totals from different teams, but then also things like uh, rest advantage, where a team uh, is playing, home game, road game, or even London or Germany this year. As a whole, the Falcons have the easiest strength of schedule, according to his metrics, and the Patriots have the 32nd or the hardest. Uh, schedule this year. But because I'm just focusing on weeks one through four, I wanted to make my own little strength of schedule just for these first four weeks. So if you take just the first four weeks of games, and this is where everybody's playing, you know, the first bye week isn't until week five. The hardest strength of schedule, just in terms of opponents' projected wins, is the New England Patriots and the Tennessee Titans. And when you look at their games, it makes sense. The Patriots, they started at home for their first two games. 
but they get the defending NFC champs in the Eagles in week one, and then a pretty good Miami team. And then they go on the road for the Jets and the Cowboys. So I don't, I don't want to make huge predictions. I'll save that for later this week when we make our win predictions. But unless you're super high on the Patriots, or if you're not really high on some of those teams I mentioned, starting off with Eagles, Dolphins, Jets, Cowboys, there's a, at least a possibility they start 0-4. And then if you look at Tennessee, they start off at New Orleans, who I'm high on and I'll get to in that episode. The Chargers, they have at home. Then they go at Cleveland and then home for Cincinnati. And again, unless you're really low on one of those teams, there's at least a possibility they might be 0-4, even if you like the Tennessee Titans. So on the flip side, the, the team with the easiest schedule throughout the first four weeks, as a Seahawks fan, I hate to say it, is the 49ers. Now they do start off with a, a, a decently tough game on the road in, against Pittsburgh. But then they go at the Rams, home for the Giants, and then home for the Cardinals. Obviously, the two division matchups probably won't be too difficult. Then they do get the Giants at home. At Pittsburgh is interesting, but potential for a, a pretty good start there for the 49ers. So then it got me thinking, are there teams that, that we should be looking out for either starting slow or starting fast, at least in terms of what we think of them for the season as a whole? Right? Because every single year this happens, there's usually a team that nobody was really expecting and oh suddenly they're three and one, they're four and oh. Like, should we start thinking about them differently? You know, last year was the Panthers. They started off pretty hot. Ended the year, I think, kind of where we thought they'd be, you know, sort of a, a mid-tier team. But at least those first few games. They were playing well. Of course, that's still when they had McCaffrey. And you thought, okay, maybe the Panthers are for real. But then on the flip side, there are always those teams that we thought were Super Bowl contenders that, you know, maybe start 0-2, maybe they're 2-3 and or something in their first five. And this always happens. And so I think just by looking at this first mini season, I think can kind of get us prepared for what we might see. So I think a couple teams to keep an eye on. First, on the disappointing side, I think teams that we, and we as a whole, maybe not me, maybe just the NFL community in general might be high on, that you know has a potential to at least start off slow. And I think one of those teams is Cleveland. I think depending on how you feel about Deshaun Watson, about Nick Chubb, Amari Cooper, their whole team, they play in a tough division, and their schedule is pretty rough to start off. They are home in week one, but it's against Cincinnati. Then they go at Pittsburgh, Tennessee, and then Baltimore at home. And then they have their bye week. So yes, three of those games are at home. That's good. But a tough game against Cincinnati, a really tough road game in Pittsburgh. And then Tennessee and Baltimore, I think, are both coin toss games so I'm not saying they're going to start off slow this could be a situation where you know maybe they play well against the Bengals maybe they beat Tennessee and Baltimore maybe they're three and one heading into their bye week but there's also a case where 
they lose in Cincinnati, they lose in Pittsburgh. Maybe they pick up a win against Tennessee or Baltimore, but then they're one and three and people start saying, hey, what about the Browns? So that's a, a team to keep an eye on. Another team is Detroit. And we'll talk more about Detroit uh, this, later this week with my brother. Detroit is a big bandwagon team this year. And I'm, again, not going to say that they're going to start slow, but they have that potential. Of course, they start off in Kansas City in a couple days on Thursday night. Then they play the Seahawks week two, Atlanta week three, and then at Green Bay in Lambeau Field week four. Uh, It's not the hardest schedule, but it's not the easiest. I think we'll learn a lot Thursday night if if they beat the Chiefs or if they at least compete with them then this might be a different story. But if they lose Kansas City, if they lose maybe one to either the Seahawks or the Falcons, and then, you know, however good the Packers are, playing in Lambeau is always tough. So if, again, the Lions could be looking at a situation where they're one and three, and people start to say, oh, what about the Lions? The only other team that could be a, a quote-unquote slow starting team uh, is the Dolphins. And I really like the Dolphins. I think that will be reflected in and what I think they could do this year. But they start off on the road, first in L.A. against the Chargers, and then at New England, which will be a tough game. And then they play home in, against Denver, but then go to Buffalo week four. So that's three out of the first four on the road against good quality opponents. So even if you think they're going to win at home in, against Denver, another possible one and three start. So between Cleveland, Detroit, and Miami, I'm not picking them to start slow. I'm not picking them necessarily to go one and three. But there's at least a pretty good realm of possibility that one or all of those teams could start slow. And, you know, maybe they have a rough season. But just based on their schedule, we should probably temper expectations, at least starting out. So on the flip side, the teams that maybe we aren't necessarily thinking of, you know, big Super Bowl contenders. Is there anybody else that could get off to a fast start, a la the, the Carolina Panthers last year? I think there's a couple teams. Uh, I have to mention the Seahawks in Seattle. Not a, not a terrible start to the year for the Seahawks. Home game against the Rams, week one. Do have to go at Detroit, which I mentioned when talking about Detroit. That would be a tough game at home against Carolina, and then at the Giants. There's a good possibility that it's potentially 3-1. and one. And then depending on what the 49ers do, you know, that, that conversation would start. I think the Chargers, the Jaguars, or a couple other teams that I think have relatively high expectations and also have a, a relatively easy schedule. The Jaguars start at Indianapolis, have a tough game against Kansas City Week 2, but then Houston and Atlanta weeks three and four. So if you like Jacksonville, that home game against Kansas City week two, again, it's a home game. Who knows what could happen? So maybe they get off to a, half, to a hot start. Or the Chargers, I mentioned, Miami home game, and then at Tennessee, at Minnesota, and Las Vegas home game week four. I think the Seahawks, the Chargers, the Jaguars, I think they're all expected to be playoff teams, so I don't know if that really counts as a surprise start. So a couple other teams that I want to throw out, 
And this might be a little bit more of a of a long shot. But just throwing it out there, because again, who knows what the start of the season will bring. One of the teams is Denver. The Broncos start with two games at home against Vegas and then Washington. Tough game against Miami week three on the road and then to Chicago week four. But besides that Miami game, I could see the the Broncos at least competing in all three other games. So, you know, if the Sean Payton-Russell Wilson pairing is going to work, maybe they get off to a hot start. And I think that could be a good example of come week five, you know, home game against the Jets. If the Broncos come in three and one, then the conversation shifts and it's, is Russell Wilson back? Is Sean Payton working miracles? Are the Broncos for real? And maybe they will. But then the Broncos go Jets at Kansas City, Green Bay, Kansas City, at Buffalo. So that's uh, one of those things that just the way the schedule works, don't be surprised about a Denver hot start, even if you don't think Denver is going to be very good this year. And then the only other team I want to mention is the Colts. I think the Colts could be one of the worst teams in the league. And we will talk more about them next episode. So I don't necessarily think they're going to get off to a hot start. But if you're looking for a team that isn't good, but might surprise a couple people, they play Jacksonville, but it's a home game. And then at Houston, at Baltimore week three would be tough. And then the Rams for a home game. And depending on how you feel about some of those teams, two and two is at least foreseeable. You know, at Houston, maybe they still get that game. Maybe they take care of the Rams week four. So even if they don't surprise the Jaguars or the Ravens, I think Indy starting off two and two, I think would surprise people. You know, maybe not to the, the start the Panthers had or other teams have had. But if you don't think Indianapolis is going to be very good, you know, they might surprise a few people. So that was just, I guess, a few examples of this kind of first mini season, really looking at schedule, really looking at who teams are playing. And yes, in all these cases, there are going to be big upsets. There are always big upsets. That's the best thing about the NFL and the best thing about sports in general. But when you can kind of craft together that that opening part of the schedule, this first mini season, you can start to point out teams, point out schedules that look a little enticing, and then schedules that look a little rough. So we will, we will talk more NFL, like I mentioned uh, later this week with my brother, but I just wanted to get a, a first look at this first mini season, and I will continue to look at these mini seasons as they happen and try to react, try not to overreact at what happens. But hopefully this was helpful in just looking at this first mini season as we get ready for NFL season starting this week. That will do it for today's episode. Thanks to my friend Arthur for coming on, talking baseball. We will be back this weekend. Like I mentioned, my brother Chris is coming on and we will do our full NFL preview show. So make sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and we will see you on Sunday. Sunday.